Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. I caught up with Claude Phipps while he was hiking outside his home in New Mexico. We talked about his book, An American Family History, a memoir. Not his first book with Page Publishing, but by far the one most near and dear to his heart. How was that hike, by the way? Okay. <laughs> How long have you been there? 40 years. <laughs> so what did you do there for a living? I worked at Los Alamos National Lab and um, also... Um, I have my own business since 1995. It's called Photonic Associates. Okay. This isn't your first book for Page, is it? No, uh, the first one was about five years ago. It's something called No Wonder You Wonder. Um, my, a, lot, a lot more work than either of these two. Um, however, these two have a lot of love for me because, I don't know, I just both, both of them I really wanted to get out and get it published. This book, An American Family History, is your family history. I mean, I can see why that's close to your heart. <laughs> yeah, right. And it all started because I accidentally read, came across, I was, uh, my, my great, great, great grandfather, John M. Phipps, um, I decided to start looking into him. And then I found this long article, which I quote in the book from um, a newspaper of the Times, um, 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 and I thought, wow, that's interesting. He was um, an interesting guy. Um, they're all buried in Ponca City, Oklahoma, in the big Oddfellows graveyard there. <laughs> um, and uh, I just, um, I thought, okay, I'll look into it a little more and decided to write this history, starting with him being born in 1812, which is when the British were attacking Washington and the Russians were attacking Crimea. Was that the first time they attacked Crimea? It was one of many, right? Yeah, but the Crimean, Crimean War, however you say it, was a, the War of 1812 in that area, part of the country. And at the moment, this, this moment, this guy, John M., was being born in um, Virginia. So that's where I wanted to start it. There were twins, John and Eli. Eli, he was more of an entrepreneur, I think. He went to Denver bought a sawmill and cut the wood that built Denver uh, at that time. He was a famous guy. He had the, had the lumber that built Denver. Okay. <laughs> okay. The theme of the book for me is that these there's two kinds of, two types of families involved in my birth. One is on the Phipps side. The farmers uh, who never did anything else and never went to college or anything of that sort. Um, my father was the first one of the whole group that ever set foot on a college campus. The other hand, on the DeWitt side, my mother's side, they were professionals. They were preachers and um, electrical engineers and that sort of thing. And so it's quite different uh, background. And yes, they had been to college. Um, and uh, that's where my mother met my father at University of Missouri back in the late 20s. That was a time when particularly women weren't going to college. 
Yeah, my mother actually, she was a little crazy in some ways. She wanted to study the words of Christ in in the original Aramaic. And so somehow she thought she would do that at the university. And I guess she did a little bit. She used to know a little a little Jewish uh, words for the, you know, Aleph, Beth, Gamel, Daleth, the alphabet. Yeah. And uh, beside that, I don't know. But she fell in love with my father so hard that her grades went way down. Oh, and, no. <laughs> um, they invited her to go away and come back in a year when she was more serious. So that happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have some of their love letters. I wouldn't repeat in the book. I mean, this is very, uh, very sexy stuff. Really? And you oh, didn't yeah. put it in the book? Well, I should have, but I didn't. I, yeah, well, it's just, I don't know. It seemed inappropriate somehow. But uh, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, in fact, some of the letters that she got from him, there's pieces cut out of it with a little scissor, you know. It, it looks like a it looks like a spider's web, the letter. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. They were so passionate. Yeah. Uh, that's good as far as I'm concerned. That means I was certainly the product of some love. Yeah. Several things I found out doing this research. My son was born, oh, I don't know, about six months after we got married. And I always thought that was absolutely unique in our family. But I found out that my dad was the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Very passionate family, okay? <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot of parallels there and also differences. Um, my mother's side is extremely primitive Baptists, okay? They're so Baptist that the Southern Baptists are a bunch of communists. Um, oh. And... That was a different flavor um, <laughs> from the, what I, the way I became as an adult, let's put it that way. Um, for me, it was San Francisco in the 60s, and, um, uh, it was, okay. and we lived over in La Honda, over the hill behind Stanford toward Half Moon Bay, which is why I was there in the first place to get my PhD. At the same time, uh, involved in the summer of love and also getting a PhD and, that, and having a kid. So all of it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> wow. um, now, if you jump forward after my wife died from cancer, then um, I had been with a person called Shanti Banwart since 1986. She died on April 3rd, unfortunately. But anyway, we had 36 years together. And that was... Another beautiful time, um, I think when uh, when this started was uh, I haven't been, I have a, some cousins in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I decided just to fly out there and visit them for a week, and that's when I got a lot of these stories, uh, and I became convinced I needed to write that all down. Um, instead of just telling it to each other. So I love the fact that John M. Phipps uh, lived to 104 and his twin Eli lived to 107 and that we have long living DNA in our, in our systems. Dad was 97 when he died. And so I'm hoping I'm looking forward to another 20 years. I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you put these two families together, uh, 
I took the bridle in my teeth and went running off to MIT, um, this was a different thing for our family. And I think um, I'm proud of that. Um, to put all that in those ingredients together in a bowl and come out with a scientist who is actually recognized around the world in some ways, that's me. And I'm happy about that. And I'm happy that they created that background. In particular, they made me want to get out of there so bad. <laughs> that, well, that I, how are you recognized around the world? I'm a major contributor to laser interaction with materials. Laser space propulsion is my big deal. I'm just editing a book on that topic. Break that down for those of us, you know, what is, yeah, break that down. Yeah, uh, when you shine a pulse laser on something, you make a flash on it if you have enough intensity in the pulse. And that flash is like a miniature rocket jet. So you can propel something, at least theoretically, if you do this with enough power, a megawatt, a million watts or so, you can launch things from the Earth into space much more effectively than you do with chemical rockets because the exhaust velocity is so high. The temperature of the ablation jet is very, very high. With a high temperature goes a high velocity, and that means you're using your mass more efficiently to get into orbit. Um, my original thing was laser space debris clearing, which I invented in 1996. Um, and I've been doing that sort of thing since then. And actually in this, it's a pretty narrow field, but in the field, I'm pretty well known. Um, and uh, I have in the book I'm doing on laser space propulsion, I've got 14 co-authors, but I, I don't like the idea of teamwork. <laughs> Who uses your technology? Well, NASA's aware of it. Uh, people invite me to conferences a lot. I go to Paris twice a year. I, I like that way of being known. The French NASA knows me pretty well and have given me money to work on this kind of thing. Okay. Um, and they're more, frankly, more uh, open to it than, than NASA is, really. They're more open to it than NASA? How come? Oh, because uh, NASA is very much wedded to the older technologies where you have a rocket jet to do anything. Uh, they're just becoming, just starting to become aware of my work at NASA. Um, if you can locate every object in all the debris, all the debris, all the objects in orbit within a meter or so, um, then you can predict collisions with very good accuracy, and you'll have a very low false alarm rate. Right now, the French have maybe 300 false alarms a year uh, where someone has to move their satellite because it might be hit by something. And that's because the inaccuracy of um, knowing where things are in space. If you use a very short pulse, if you have a space-based laser that can shine around and, and a pulse laser that can locate things by the duration of the pulse coming back, the reflection, um, you can locate things within centimeters, um, and right now that's not true. The, the uncertainty is very, very big where, where all the objects are. So that's one thing we're, the CNES and I are working on. That's Centre National des Études Spatiales. That's 
CNES and um, the French NASA, and they um, have in the past anyway like this idea. So you thought it would be interesting to write the backstory of how you got to where you are today, starting with your ancestors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no shortage of brain power going all the way back to the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you travel, you lecture, you talk. Do you talk about your book? This book, not the laser book. I do. I just got back from a book fair in Columbus, Ohio, which was really thrilling. Uh, if you look at my Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash crfips. It's very easy to look at. And it's just pasted with these pictures from Columbus of this huge book festival, 33,000 people wandering around buying books. Um, and uh, I sold a couple hundred myself, you know. How did you wind up at a book fair in Columbus? I'll tell you, some, some scammer called me up and said, send me $2,000 and I'll get you invited to this book festival. I told him to go to hell, but then I said, hmm, let me look into it and see if I want to be there, you know? So that's how it was. Um, they uh, charged me 120 bucks for a space in the tent, um, tent number 70 on the north side of the park. It's a huge place. This topiary park in Columbus is probably a quarter of a mile on a side. It's a very big place. And it was just covered with people's tents. And many people had many more books, of course, to sell than I did. I just had the three. Some people had 50 lined up on their table. Wow. And it was just an exciting thing to be there. And people just walked around and looked at your books and got to talk to you. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's, that's really good for all of our authors to know. That is, is. Do, you, do you look for other events like that as well? well? I might now. Uh, this was, it was such a... Uh, now, of course, I didn't make back the money it cost me to go there, but I got myself seen. I got the books out there. Uh, two of them are in the Columbus Library now. So, yeah, it, it was just thrilling to be there. And um, actually, I might even move to Columbus. I thought it was neat. <laughs> From New Mexico? Get out. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I can afford a house on Franklin Avenue that I saw in Columbus, <laughs> I might do it. <laughs> All right, Claude, fly, fly, Claude, fly. You only live once. Yeah, that's right. See, that's the thing. That is the thing. It is. You only live once. And boy, howdy, don't get stuck, you know, if you can help us. That's the thing. And that's, so that's why my advice to young authors is, you're thinking about publishing a book, do it now. You, you'll, you won't ever have a better time. You'll get tied down by something or other and say, oh, I, I'll do that next year and not do it. Right. Right. <laughs> Claude, it was so nice meeting you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Alice. I appreciate it. This is really neat. All right. I'll see you in Columbus, Claude. You bet. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Day I Found My Dead Mother Alive is the name of our next book. Now, I, you know, you're thinking, how is that possible? Well, Carolina Pineda explains in riveting detail exactly how. Carolina, um, what do you do out there in California? I've been in healthcare for a long time. I've done it all. But my bread and butter for the most part of my career was an emergency. And then I did critical care transport oh. uh, for a super long time. And then recently, in recent years, just because I'm tired of the stress and I mean, it's a lot having to deal with people that are that sick. Yeah. 
Um, I have transitioned into home health. Oh, good for you. There certainly is a huge need for that right now, right? So so tell me, what, what was the situation with your mom? She was very complicated, but I honestly cannot say, Alice, that I ever really got to deeply, and there were many factors, many, many factors. If I think back, I really never got to really deeply connect with my mother. I, I don't know what I don't know what her pain was. I can tell you what everyone else said, but I don't know if that was what truly caused her to end her life. Um, so f I was seven when my mom and dad separated. And, and and obviously she stayed in our lives, but you know it was not really really constant. And at seven, I do remember some things, but not not incredibly a lot. Um, and by seventeen, we moved here to America. Where were you? In El Salvador. But you know what's funny, Alice? Although I I didn't deeply know her, I I knew something was off, if you would, with her. And the story that we have heard, or the story, she never did say this, but her, so she had two sisters. And one of the sisters, the oldest sister, was, was just not a good person. And that's the one that I briefly talk about on the, on the book. And the other sister, the middle sister, was more, uh, what, what can I say? Her senses were more there. She would actually say that my mother had this guilt about her own mother's death because she had grown up thinking my mother believed that her mother died giving birth to her. Now, this was not true, but my mom apparently grew up with that pain. Well, I wonder why she believed that. I think that she was probably teased, perhaps, or... I mean, remember, she did, she was born in the 30s, 40s, so I don't, I mean, I, there, there was no such a thing as, oh, don't say that to the child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I knew that there was something, something that my mother carried that was never open to us. And, and the reason why is because we really were kids. We really were children in her eyes. And even though she would visit, she would come to visit here often, still, there was really not not moments to where we were connect so that I could somehow understand who she was. But what I can tell you is when we would go out with her, when she would, when she would pick us up, we would have the most amazing time. She would really go out of her way to, uh, to make sure that we had a great time. And she, she really was the light of the party. My God, like you walked into a room and the room was dark and my mom would walk in and then everybody almost like will animate. Wow. She, she had this incredible, yet sad, right? Because in the end, all of that light that she, that she carried, it, it ended up not being enough to keep herself. Um, but I think there were other issues that were going on too then. Um, so yeah, but she, yeah, my mother, she was, she was, she was a wonderful, she was a wonderful mom. So last year, 
for my birthday, my son, my oldest son, my sister, just a whole bunch of people. We decided, hey, we're going to let's go to Guatemala, which is basically our neighboring country. Oh, let's go on vacation. How wonderful. Great. And everything is great. I had such a wonderful time that I started to really introspect of just that whole trip and my ability to speak Spanish, my ability to really immerse in the culture. And that brought me to my life, my, oh, wow. Like, look how, how lucky to have been born here to the parents that I blah, blah, blah. And so here's my mother. Right. So I, I'm thinking I, I have to, I just have to, I just have to put everything into a book. As soon as I get back, I promise mom, I'm going to write your book and that will be your mother's day. This is the way to honor you. Boom. That's what I did last year. All right. So in your book, you take us back to the mid nineties. What was going on with your mom? 1995. My mother is, is calling me. I have noticed that my mother is calling me a little more than often which was kind of unusual, but not necessarily. If she needed something, she would call a little more often. So she's calling me more than regular. And, and this goes on for a couple of weeks, right? Next thing I know, I get a phone call from this man I have never in my life met. I have no idea who he is. And he delivers the, you know, the horrible, most terrifying message on the phone that my mother is dead. And in a brutal way, you know, in a really, really awful, I mean, he made me feel like, like I had killed her. She's in El Salvador. I am in Livermore, California. So what has happened, it took that whole day to figure out that she had indeed taken her life. So I have four children at that time. My youngest daughter was six months old. Uh, there's no way I can go down. And there was some family dynamics with the, with the oldest sister that I'm telling you, she was just awful. And it was best really not for me not to go. So I am here in the United States, just baffled, just mortified. Uh, just everything that you could imagine is happening to me. What has happened? How could I not picked on it? Was this the reason she was calling me, calling me? And, and, and I would tell her, mom, I'm gonna send you the plane ticket. Just hang on and you can come and, and be with me. However, she never, express any distress this this is what was so interesting but then again so i go through a period of complete isolation alex i lock myself in my bedroom with my daughter and i am going through it just you can imagine the, the most intense pain this is my mother i just i couldn't i couldn't come to terms that the being that birthed me they gave me life isn't gone just like that how how can that be how can that be so on week two my very dear neighbor mary comes in she says hey i made an appointment and we're gonna go to and and, and in the book i refrain myself from saying what denomination the church that we went to just because i don't want to make the book about religion so i thought Hey, in my grief, I haven't even thought of asking someone to help me. Maybe that's what my mother needs. Maybe she needs prayers. I don't know. So I agree to go. It was a pretty awful experience because he, he said to me, well, people like your mother will be stuck in limbo. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but you know what, Alice? Literally, his words 
Seriously, I mean, I, I and, and again, I mean, look at how long it's been. And I tell you to this day, the words of that man catapult me. They didn't gently push me to, hmm, you, you better investigate. No, they catapult me to everything that he said. I refused it. There has to be some divinity right within each of us. Well, that divinity said to me, don't listen to him. Yeah. That's not true. It is not true. Your mother is not dead. And so when I left that church, I was determined I'm going to find her because I just kept thinking, wait, how it, it just doesn't make any sense. If you had this beautiful being God, right, or, or whatever you want to call it, this this loving energy, this creating energy that has created each one of us and created my mother, too, in a loving way, how could because committing suicide is most definitely a mental health issue. There, there's just, I mean, you, you, it, it can be an accident, uh, you know. A, a sui- m- most of them are. Most- but then it's not suicide if it's an accident. That's not suicide, right? Yeah, and an accidental overdose, right, is sort of a suicide because you shouldn't be doing that because <laughs> okay. you're gonna, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, anyway, hers was hers was not accidental. So I am determined there's no way in my head, I'm thinking to myself, wait, I am a simple mortal being. I have four children. I love these four kids with all of my heart. If one of them were to mess up just because they can't find their way in life and they decide to, you know, do something radical, why would I punish them? Right. On top of it all is what I kept thinking to myself. So I'm like, okay, whatever that dude said to me doesn't make sense. Okay. There's got to be an answer to this is, is what I'm thinking. So now instead of or along with grief, I am determined. Wait a second. I have to, I have to do something. I have to do something. So that's when I started kind of reading. I, and I started doing this little glimpses of meditation. Okay. I was sitting every day, every hour, if I could, I would just close my eyes and I would ask my mother, where are you? Just for moments and seconds, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Now here comes the phone call. Literally on the one month anniversary of her suicide, it was a Friday. I remember her so well. It, this was nighttime. Uh, we've gone to bed. Just the routine. I was trying to really get back to some sort of a routine, denying everything that I had been told. In my heart, I knew I was going to find something, some answer. So on that day, my children are in bed. Now I am going to retire to my bedroom. I'm walking as a hallway. I'm walking to my bedroom. Then, Alice, I cannot tell you whether I got in bed, whether I fell asleep, I have no idea what happened. Next event is the phone in my house because we didn't have cell phones. There were the 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 wall phones, right? The phone is ringing. So I now consciously see myself walking on the hallway, the same hallway, walking back now backwards, right towards the phone, away from my children's bedrooms. I I am I'm going to the phone. The phone is ringing. I pass the living room and I walk into the TV room where the phone is. I sit down on the blue ugly couch and on the right hand side side is the phone. I grab the phone and I say, hello. 
And on the other side is my mother. No. <laughs> yes. And she says to me, oh my God, her voice. Hello, hija. Hello, daughter. And I, I mean, I remember just taking this deep breath and going, oh my God. And in that, that, in that sense, in that moment, thinking, oh my God, she's been freaking hiding somewhere. Is what 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 I first thought. She's not dead, and I said, "Oh my God, Mom, where are you? We we've been like we even had a funeral for you. There was a sense. There were things that my mom would do when she was alive that she would exaggerate. She would say she was going to call and not a call for a couple of days, and she was at her friend. So it, it, in the realm of things, when I picked up that phone and I heard her voice that I thought, oh my God, she's, she's not dead. She's just, she's been hiding somewhere. So there's hurt, there's anger and, and, and excitement that she's not dead. And then I said, oh my God, mom, you are not dead. Where are you? And in that moment, there was this pause. And then I knew, I knew that she was dead and I knew that she was contacting me. And she said, I just called you to let you know I didn't mean to do it. Oh my God. I just called you and I let you know I didn't mean to do it. And that immediately I just took my breath away. And then next thing I'm thinking, oh my God, salvation. <laughs> you know, I still have perhaps some leftover of, of our, our cultural beliefs. And I said to her, oh my God, mom, please pray to jesus please pray to god and she said wait she said wait wait don't worry about that i know what i need to do i just called to tell you that i didn't mean to do it and how, how that, did she die she um which was another thing that was really difficult for me to to come to terms because like I said, I've been in healthcare for a long time. And before I was a nurse, I was a paramedic. And when I was in paramedic school, my mother was with me. She came to help me with, with my kids. And I would talk to her about what I was learning. And this particular day that we talked about, my gosh, I said to her, oh my God, mom, we learn about this, this is so crazy. Uh, like if you really wanna kill yourself, and I shared this with her, <laughs> instead of cutting your wrist across right you know how you, yes you you cut them vertical right yes yep that's exactly how she died do you believe she didn't mean to do it she didn't mean to do it because nobody means to do it ah. that's for sure on, on on if you if you look at the at the actual data of suicide the people that end up surviving suicide they really don't mean to do it like i see uh, how can i explain it uh, say you jump from a bridge or whatever right as you are falling yes you you don't oh you i mean like like the coming to jesus comes to you and you're like oh my god i don't really want to do it but that's too late boom yeah you hit the, whatever the ground and then you're dead right i see what you're saying um i I'm going to share this with you, and this is probably going to be on my next book because I do have a book. 
but so that you so you see what I'm saying and why I'm I'm saying I don't believe that anybody really intends to do it that way. Yeah. I mean, like like yes, right now the moment I am depressed, I hate this life. I, I, that's it. I'm 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 gonna die. But the moment like those I don't know nanoseconds before death, I think that you go oh wait 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 I really do, I really don't want to do it. Right. Right, so I'm gonna right, I'm gonna yeah. share this yeah. experience with you so that so it's kind of like clear and interesting too. When I was a paramedic, this is a paramedic many years ago. This guy at five o'clock, <laughs> he is coming on commute, and there's this really super tall bridge. He parked his white beamer, and he literally jumped. He jumped to his death. Right. So I was the the ambulance, the closest to what had happened so they sent us on that call we it was just we were gonna i mean i wasn't gonna recover the body but we were gonna make sure that he was indeed dead i mean and he was dead because he the the, the height was like tremendous we go in but you still have to put the the you know the the, the patches on the the cardiac oh monitor God. just just oh yes just to confirm to confirm and i am literally in front of him ready to do my job when suddenly alice oh my god i feel this incredible sense of desperation i could sense him realizing he had killed himself and now he has no body no human body anymore in this like desperate like like oh my god oh my god like this fusion like i like literally he was what i was sensing is i i oh, what do i do now what do i do where do i go I, like look there is my body it was the creepiest thing ever i have never been in a room when someone died but in talking to people who have they say that when you pass there is an energy that is released right there isn't so after you wrote the book did you feel better so i felt cute and i use the words cured because that's really what happened cured when i had that phone call with my mom writing okay. the book what i felt was mission accomplished mother here is honor new because imagine what she must and I know I have no understanding what the afterlife is but imagine what she must had had to go through to connect with me is how I see this but you're not sure whether that phone call from your mom was real was it a dream or was it you know what I mean like did, did you I feel have, like you were somewhere I, between I, I cannot because the next the the next experience that I had was a dream that I can tell you I know exactly was a dream. This Alice I can I cannot answer that because it was I I, I cannot say oh oh look uh, yeah what well, that was a strange dream. All I can tell you is I had miraculously <laughs> in a month I was cured from that that immobilizing grief that devastating grief that that guilt that all of those things that you're feeling i mean imagining finding out that your mother killed herself exactly the way that you many 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 years ago you had just i'm, pa I'm passing 
have you right this, this so all of those things were completely erased it was like like i had been submerged right in cleansing water right literally that's how i mean and if you look at at what a miracle is of course by the definition of of religion that's really what a miracle is 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 when you when you completely heal overnight just nothing nothing you just had an experience overnight wow and in my book i also explained which was really interesting but makes total sense um after this phone call, I gather my family, my siblings, right? And I and I, I, I told them, I explained to them, this is what happened. Yeah. And I was hoping that they will also heal. But instead, there was a lot of, well, why didn't she call me? Why didn't she? Oh. And, mm. and if you were to look at how the three siblings, how we have led our lives, is very apparent on when you don't heal properly if you would not that i'm saying that they that they they didn't deal they have but i don't think it was fully incomplete healing so when when you go out do you go out and talk about your book to people who have lost loved ones in my book that at the end of it is a, is a letter or a, a note from this great friend that I met when, when I was in my paramedic years. Um, she lost her son, Christopher, very recently. And I immediately called her, Alice, I immediately called her and I said, look, I'm gonna tell you what I did with my mother. You you can find your Christopher. I don't know what I'm gonna eat today or tomorrow, if I'm gonna be alive, I don't know, here on this earth, but I can tell you that I'm 100% certain that there is no death. So I called Christy and I said, you can find your Christopher. And she did. Wow. That is really a, a great comfort that you can offer. Yes, she did. exactly. She did. And she said exactly that. Because of that, it, it, I, mean, I mean, Alice, you're a mother. Uh, losing a mother is pretty, is pretty devastating. Losing your parents is pretty devastating. But imagine losing a child. No. Exactly. Nope. Exactly. Can't. Exactly. Can't even go there. Exactly. Same here. And for Christy to say, you have helped me. You have helped me with this. I have found him. I have peace in my heart. Oh, my God. Oh, Carolina, what a great story. What a great story. (laughs) Thank you. What's the purpose now? Is it important to you to get your mom's story out there? Is that important? Huge. So how do you do that? Do you go to groups where people are grieving, where people are dealing with death and suicide? I mean, how do you Yeah, that's such a that's such a great actually I haven't even I haven't even thought of. Honestly, very very honest with you. I, I haven't even thought of how I can put that information out there. I up up to publishing this book and talking about it candidly right with people i have not done any of that yet within myself i know that this information is so important because i know what grief is like and and look alice if you don't control your grief by some powerful knowledge 
oh my gosh, grief. I feel grief and guilt are two of the worst feelings in the world. They, they will eat you alive. You will. They will control you. They will, they control, will control. Yes, control. They will control you. Yep. Exactly. So I know this. I know this. And so I know that this is important, but yeah, I haven't really. Up, up till now, I have not. And I think that you're so right to, and, and maybe some of the things that are happening to me is, which is a lame excuse to say, I don't even know where to go. Well, you're in a healthcare professional. Exactly. It might be clear as the nose on your face. And when the time is right, you, you're going to find your way. I mean, I really feel a purpose here. And, yeah. and I feel that from a lot of authors that, it's more than just writing a book. There's a real purpose. And that, you know, right. you you know who needs this. It's a matter of finding those people, connecting with those people. And you will find your way. I think you will. Right. You right. Know? Thank you. Yeah. No, it, it is. It, it is. It, you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, having my mother. Now, here's another thing I want to tell you about that phone call, too, that is so important. And it also helps people. In that second that she takes a break, right? When I said, oh my God, what? I can't believe you you did this to us or like you're not dead. And there's that pause. I could sense, Alice, that there were so many people in the background waiting to use the heavenly phone. Hmm. Waiting to get through. Well, you know what? I think if you're open to your loved ones, I have never felt mm -hmm. that my loved ones who have passed are far from me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, my, my, uh, I envision a veil and it's a very thin veil between life and death. Right. And they're right there. Right. They're right on the other side. That's right. I have often said to myself, are you making this stuff up in your head or is Sergio really talking mm -hmm. to you? You know, he is. My mother would tell me how her grandmother would come to her and she would see her sitting in the grand, in the rocking chair. And I, you know, I was like, you know, um, he is, he is talking to you. If you're, if you are open to that, but I don't know that people are open to that. And I have no doubt that people are listening to us right now going, those two are whack jobs. You know, people <laughs> die, they die. That's it. It's over. You're in the ground. That's it. But I, I, you've got you've got a real interesting story there and for a story of comfort i think exactly and and, and look everybody has the right to believe whatever they want to believe because that's the way the world goes but i can tell you 100 percent, just the healing that took place four weeks after the passing of my mother <laughs> It, how do how do you how does that happen? I mean, I said to my mother-in-law when my father-in-law passed, um, you, she went through a period of grief, and I said, "Lucy, how did you how did you get over it?" And she said, "He told me when it was okay. He told me when it was right. time to move on, and I did, and she did, and you go, hmm. I, I've also have very good friends who lost their son and he he was this, grew up with my son and same age as my son I don't know how they're healing I don't know if they will allow I think you have to allow that to come yes. to you yeah. you have to open that door yeah. and, and believe that it's possible because yes. if you don't believe it you're you not going to heal 
absolutely you're you're you are up you have to know that there is more to the human our human body like 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 again and i and i repeat it 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 just the thought of total termination is terminated nothing else boom that was it her body that's it could say goodbye because that was that I could not come to terms with that. What what happens to her essence? Where I mean, she was so much more. All of us are so much more than the body. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. You have another book, right? You have another book coming. I, there is another book. I mean, nothing is yet in paper, but I have had. Look, I, that story of my mother, right? I mean, that was that took the 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 the, the cherry on top. But before that, I've had many, many, many other stories that I am that I that I think will nicely complement my my mother's book. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I I am gonna I am going to start on on my next project. <laughs> so, In between those twelve hour shifts, you go. <laughs> <between the> 12, <laughs> take notes. <laughs> exactly, Alice. That's right. All right. Thanks, Carolina. Take care, Alice. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.